This is the False Finish Podcast. Pro wrestling talk that goes inside the industry. If you're a man, you don't cry about it. You take life ups and downs. If you're a real man, you never go down, you just stay up. That's why I'm the world champion. That's why this sport coat costs $800 and that costs $200. And I don't know what that costs, I'd be ashamed to wear it. That's why I'm wearing lizard shoes and a Rolex watch. And I'm going to live with these sitting out there a mile long with 25 women just dying for me to go. Because I'm the world champion, sucker. From the Top Rope Turnbuckle Studios, here's your hosts, former professional wrestler Preston James III and Brian Pensy. For the hundreds of thousands of listeners, we welcome you back to the False Finish Podcast. Alongside Preston James III, I'm Ryan Pensy. PJ3, lots going on since we talked last week. Uh, Kurt Angle, as you called it. Um, going into the Hall of Fame for the WWE. And uh, now many speculate that there might be another match at play as well. So let's just start right off the top tonight. Scott Commodity, we believe, is in Barbados trying to get some additional information about the death of Jimmy Superfly Snuka. So he is not with us tonight. We could not get a satellite phone down to Scott Commodity uh, in the islands. But uh, either way, we're going to go ahead and deliver a blockbuster show to our fans once again tonight. I tell you what, it's great to be back. Last week, you know, the, the beauty of the False Finish podcast, Pensy, is we'll take the we'll take the show live. And uh, last week we were live from the, uh, the the Hotel Marriott, Tampa, Florida, the lobby, where so many great stories always uh, are start off in the lobby. The drinks were flowing. Carmen, the bartender, God bless you. Thank you for taking care of that tab. And uh, what an amazing week. In the world of professional wrestling, uh, it's a shame that Scott Papper can't be here right now, but he is down there looking for talent, looking for answers. Um, I got to jump right in. It's long overdue, but welcome back to Kurt Angle. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to catch him on ESPN with Coachman. John, did you see it? Johnny Coachman? Yeah, and uh, it, it sounds like Angle's trying to do his best to not rush his return to the ring. But you know that he wants at least one more match, and he's going to get at least one more. Uh, but right now, it's just kind of this build-up to the Hall of Fame. But but in time, they're going to let him step back in inside that squared circle. And and my That's question it. my question is, is it before? Is it at WrestleMania? Is he one of the mystery participants at Royal Rumble in two weeks? He very well could be, but I the, the real money match, I think, is, is Lesnar-Angle. I mean, to really build that up again, um, where, where both guys are, are much bigger stars than they were when they were wrestled in Seattle at WrestleMania 19. But um, what I really loved about the ESPN segment is that uh, Angle put over the fact that when he wrestled Triple H, The Rock, and Austin, in quote, he says, uh, he says, when I, when I had a chance to wrestle them, I was brand new into the company. I wasn't even good yet. I would love to have had matches with them when I was good. And what I took from that is is that he knows now because he is he's amazing in the ring. He's phenomenal. He's a general in the ring. He knows that he wasn't at that time and he knows that he had to get carried through the matches from guys like Steve and guys like Hunter and and even The Rock which I always found interesting because The Rock never really got credit for 
being a ring general. So I, and I, I don't know if he really is. We'd have to talk to some uh, other folks to see if they're better. But um, I, that, that was the, the nugget of uh, wrestling info that I that snuck away from that ESPN segment. Just to keep it there for a second, if you were to put him back inside of a WWE ring right now today, does he carry the, the mark of a four- or a five-star general in terms of just how good he is compared to the other talent in the business today? Oh, he's as good as it gets. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think if uh, Jericho would be at that level right now. Clearly Undertaker, but he's not really doing it much. Um, I mean, some of the top guys – Scott would be good for this too because is AJ Style uh, – AJ is he a general? I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I can really give him that because I haven't really seen him go out and do one of those, you know, a WWE-style match, you know, that's just not spot, spot, spot crazy. So we'll see. You know, PJ3, there are times in a man's life that define him. And I think that we have seen one of those instances with two individuals this past week. In a gym... In Jonesboro, Arkansas, eloquently named the Trim Gym, a longtime wrestling mark named Anthony Martin thought that it was his dream come true in meeting one Randy Orton, a second-generation wrestler, a guy who's had his ups and downs inside of the squared circle. This is a direct quote coming from said mark, Anthony Martin. I approached him by myself and said, can I get a picture with you? He gave me a fist bump and replied, sorry, I can't hear you, pointing to his earphones, and we went our separate ways. Unfortunately, PJ3, that's where things went off the rails. As Martin <laughs> left Orton alone, he decided to snap a few photos from across the room, and <laughs> once Orton caught wind, he said, no photos, are you fucking stupid? And I said, no, you said you couldn't hear me. Again, another quote from Martin. Another friend of Martin's, Cody Halstead, commented on what he saw. He said, I can't hear you, bro. And he walked away. So Anthony walked back and took a picture anyways. And then Randy came over to Anthony, grabbed his hands, and was belittling the mark. And pretty much was saying, mf -er this, mf -er that. As I mentioned, you come to a crossroads in your life. And when you take a picture inside of the Trim Gym in Jonesboro, Arkansas, you're right there at the crossroads. Now, you've been inside of, of gyms. You've been inside of places probably that were better and probably worse than the Trim Gym. You've probably worked out in places where there wasn't the adequate equipment, or if there was, it may not have been safe to be using it. But I'm sure one thing that even you knew growing up as a fan of professional wrestling, then growing up to be a professional wrestler. You don't mess with a man when he's trying to get his reps in in Jonesboro, Arkansas, do you? I tell you what, the beautiful part about that story is he goes out on Twitter, Orton, and says, apparently I heard a fan's feelings when I told him to F off at the gym yesterday. That's news. Been happening for 15 years. Hashtag get a life. Then somebody follows it up with a question that says, hey, I don't blame you, blah, blah, blah. I paid to train. In between every set, I can't take picks. He needs to suck it the F up and go to the gym to train, not be a fanboy. That's a Randy Orton tweet. 
just wonderfulness. You know, you got to figure this guy who uh, he has long been his own guy, you know, and he is a top guy in the company. Um, it's is he irreplaceable? Of course, of course. I mean, he's he's not very good on the mic. Uh, he looks like a million dollars, and he's uh, athletically extremely gifted. I mean, he does a, an amazing job in the ring. Um, he is a true WWE superstar, um, but he's always been a little bit off. Uh, you know, he does it his way, and you know, come right out there in a PG-rated company and sends tweets like this. I gotta believe he takes some major heat for it. I mean, he is not John Cena, so he's not John Cena level. He's not making John Cena money. I can't imagine that that he keeps this stuff on there, doesn't have to take it off, doesn't have to delete it. Um, man, but my hat's off to him because he keeps it real, that's for sure. Well, and this is also a guy, if we remember back and not too far back, who has had some issues and has had to take some time away from the business to correct said issues. And so you're right, because at the same time, I saw some comparisons that were out on social media where here's Orton, who's having an altercation with a mark named Anthony Martin at the Trim Gym in Jonesboro. Meanwhile, John Cena's taking pictures with old people at a barbecue restaurant. I mean, that's just the difference in who these two guys are in the company. So is this the type of thing that potentially would impact his payday at Royal Rumble? I mean, does it go that far? Or is this more like he gets called into Hunter's office and they say, listen, you know, we've kind of been here with you before. No more of this. You know what? I, I'm I'm looking here at, at his chain here, and he's, he seems to be pretty active on Twitter regarding this incident. So if you were to go back and take a look, you know, he'll say, hey, my sentiments exactly. Not to mention he had nothing to say then. Had to wait to use Twitter like a B-I-T-C-H. And then uh, Paul Lady Gaga at Monster Star Gaga, who's just a clear wrestling fan Twitter handle right there, right? Another uh, another Orton. mark. At Randy Orton, if I see you at the gym, you better take a pic with me. And then he says, Orton responds, says, wait till I'm done, then cool. So maybe he's trying to do some PR on this right here, but, you know, good for uh, good for Orton keeping it real. He uh, definitely is not, uh, man, he's not shy. So that's it. The great state of Arkansas was tough on on wrestling talent. Not only did Orton have these issues at the Trim Gym, but according to WMCActionNews5.com, the World Wrestling Entertainment World Champion AJ Styles reported the theft of a black bag to Arkansas State University Police after working a house show at the Convocation Center this past Monday night. Said bag was apparently stolen, stolen pardon me, while he was working a match. What was in the bag, you may ask? Funny. We, uh, we have obtained the police report, as only the False Finish podcast could do. And I'm going to run down exactly what was in this. But then I want to pause for a second and ask you a couple of questions, okay? Inside of said bag from the WWE World Champion, AJ Styles, $1,000 in American currency. And if that's not enough to pay the bills, 7,000 Japanese yen. An iPhone, <laughs> Beats headphones, a small screen television, an Xbox 360, six Xbox 360 games. Now, it's 2017, Preston James III. Wow. We have learned a lot about the change in professional wrestling. Back in the glory days, when you and I first started to love the business in the 80s, to the Attitude Era of the 90s, to what it is today. I ask you this question, though. If in 1987, 
let's say an intercontinental champion like Ravishing Rick Rude had his bag stolen in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Outside of the $1,000 potentially in American currency that was inside of that, what else would have been in that bag? Hands down. Scratch-off lottery tickets. Okay. From from Arkansas or a state that he had previously wrestled in the night before? Oh, oh buddy. Uh, 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 adjoining state. Okay. Right. right. Uh, what are the rings? That you, you have a six-pack of Budweiser's, and they're in the plastic rings that you have to cut to make sure ducks don't, get, uh, don't choke? But at the time, I don't think anybody was all that concerned about said animals. So do, is just the, the six plastic rings there or are they attached still to like one or two beers three or four empty rings so that would be six in each so that would be 24 because it's a long car ride right you got those in there there may be the thousand dollars cash i'm willing to say that uh, the seven thousand currency in japanese yen would be maybe monopoly money that they would use just to amuse themselves before the show um you're obviously going to have some sort of wrappers from uh, fast food or a 7-Eleven. I don't know what they have out there in Arkansas. And uh, good old-fashioned uh, empty prescription pill bottles, I'm sure. What, is there any chance that they would have had Bobby Heenan's hotel room key from the night before? Like any, any, Because it was known that those guys back then, they loved to... to to pull the pranks on guys. We heard it from from Marty Jannetty when he was on the podcast a little bit ago about Mr. Fuji and others. So you don't hear about any of those types of things. I mean, this is kind of outside of the $1,000 in cash and 7000 in yen. This is kind of the stuff that you would expect maybe a, a, a high school boy to be carrying around, like going to and fro grandma's house. Uh, not what you would expect for the WWE world champion to have in his bag going from town to town. I would think that guys like Ric Flair and Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard and Nikita Koloff and all these guys that used to really travel the hard roads of professional wrestling would, for at least for those of whom are dead, would be rolling over in their grave tonight learning that this is what <laughs> is in the current modern WWE championships bag. Oh, I'm sure they're... I mean, nobody can go on record and talk about it, but they're... They're just laughing, saying, God, imagine if this bag was to be stolen. I mean, it, the fact that you brought this topic up is is wonderful. It's fantastic. It's entertaining. Um, and it really is kind of sad to see that's where we're at right now, where the guy just travels around and carries in a bag his Xbox with six games. I mean, why can't you just – you can't wait till you get home or you're just gaming nonstop. Or, or you can't I mean, download the games? Like, I mean, the, the guy clearly has some money. He's got $1,000 and 7,000 yen. Like, you couldn't buy a little bit bigger hard drive to, so you don't have to carry all those games with you? Or did he just buy those games the day before at the Best Buy? Like, we're, we're missing a little bit here, but, but we're not missing something either. I tell you what, I want a WWE champion that's driving from town to town in a stretch limousine who's got people carrying his bags. He's not worried about it. There's people while he's out there wrestling 60-minute broadways under one light, making that guy in a new town look good. He's got people watching his bags. Then he rolls right out of that venue and goes right to the lobby of the Hotel Marriott, Tampa, Florida. That's exactly the type of world champion that I want. I don't want some guy that goes back to his hotel. He's in bed at 9 playing Xbox 360 games. Are you crazy, Pensy? Do you think that there's any chance 
that Jonesboro, Arkansas even has a Marriott. And I don't mean a courtyard. I mean a Marriott. Like the, the, the Marriott that we were in, the Marina and Yacht Club in Tampa. I mean, the, the type of Marriott that has a hotel lobby bar where dreams are made. Well, I love the fact that you're, you're, you're focusing so much on Arkansas, which is, is it near the Midwest? I know Chicago's in the Midwest because one of the things that I wanted to bring up on tonight's podcast is the fact that there is an open position in world wrestling entertainment for a live events marketing manager handling their Midwest region. And I thought, hey, what better way than on the Falls Finish podcast to really detail what does this job do? So I got the job description here, and I want you to try to figure out some of the key responsibilities that a live events marketing manager in the Midwest who would be based out of Chicago. Okay. This is what they got to know. One, you got to be willing to travel 50% of the time. Well, that's, and that's a given. But hold on a minute. That's a lie because you're really you're expected to travel 50% of the time, expected to, but you're probably traveling more like 90% of the time. So you think that that fifty percent is 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 just hogwash? Well, I, I guess not, because if you're if you're doing a job like that and you're managing a territory, you know that you're going to get a string, um, in multiple times during the year where you're going to get house shows, Raws, Smackdowns, pay per views that are going to come through that territory. So it's not like you're traveling with the Raw crew or the Smackdown crew or the pay per view crew and you're on the road constantly. So. There is a little bit of that. But what I would say is the time you're not on the road traveling, you're out scoping out new arenas. You're out checking out places that you can do promotions. You are, I mean, you're you're an extension of the WWE brand back in, in Stanford, correct? I mean, that's what I'm, I'm thinking here. But you have to be, here's another requirement, able to adjust and adapt to varying changes in your markets and regions. I don't, I don't know what that means, but they had to highlight that, that you got to be flexible. Things are going to change. The business goes up and down, right? You never know when uh, Nitro is going to show up. You never know if you're in Lincoln, Nebraska one night and you're in Ames, Iowa next, and then you're in Chicago, Illinois. You've got to be prepared. You got to have experience with a major touring entity or arena venue marketing a plus. The other part they want is five to ten years in an entertainment event marketing. What else could even compare that you would have to have five years in what? Uh, well, I, the Ringland Barnum and Bailey Circus is closing down. Is that are they looking for folks that have been doing that for five years? I think I think you kid, but yes, I think you could uh, an employee doing that. I would say any type of a roadie who'd been traveling with any type of entertainment entity who had been doing any type of marketing uh, for concerts. Um, if you worked an arena per se, I think that you would be up for this job. So let's say you worked at the Budweiser event center in Loveland, uh, in Loveland, Colorado, you might be up for a job like this. Cause you're used to one night having minor league hockey and the next night you've got Disney on ice. And the night after that, you've got, uh, you know, a lead up show to the Royal rumble. So if you could handle that, I think you could handle this job other than the travel, which that, that kind of is a little bit different for, for a role like this. We got to be able to key responsibilities here, Pensy. Provide scaling and pricing for events. I find that interesting. Develop media advertising campaign and strategy based on unassigned budgets. Work with internal departments. Uh, build relationships within the market. Um, here's the one I like work with live event creative services and TV and radio spot producers to develop custom creative strategy in each market and keep 
each event creative, fresh in its look and feel. That's it. Okay. We should have a new segment on the podcast, Careers in the WWE. You can apply right now if you want. Are there other are there other jobs that we should that we should outline that are kind of like this? Gee, they've got so many. Uh, executive assistant in an HR in the HR. <laughs> can you <laughs> Boy, that oh. sounds like fun. That poor job in the late eight or late nineties, that 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 was a, a top, top job right there. Sales planner, vice president toys, paralegal, photography. Broadcast studio engineer, accounting manager, uh, production assistant, vice president, general manager, India, based out of Mumbai. Wow. Hey, speaking of, speaking of new jobs, it appears this week that uh, there might be another opening, and that may be for the number one play-by-play role for WWE, and I think that we deserve a lot of credit. We spent an entire episode talking about how poor the, the ring commentary was. And now there are reports that are coming that Michael Cole may very soon be transitioning to a backstage role with WWE. Um, I, I find this to be quite interesting. Um, you know, right now he is doing not only all of the announcing work for Raw, the pay per views, YouTube videos, online interviews, etc. Uh, he's also a senior producer for commentators, scouting and hiring talent. Whoever wrote this article, at least that I'm looking at, claims that he is the reason that Mauro Ranallo has a job, that he handpicked him to be the lead announcer for SmackDown. Okay? This is a tough job, though, because he followed in the steps of Jim Ross, who is one of the all-time greats. And he never has been able to live up. He, I wouldn't even say that he would be able to put the laces in Ross's boots, let alone to tie them. And so is there an opportunity here from somebody maybe even a little bit outside of the traditional professional wrestling side, but like a, a Gus Johnson type to come in, a real storyteller, somebody with a lot of passion and emotion to come in and sit there ringside and call some of these matches? I tell you what, I think the, the, the one our generation is jaded, and I think we're always going to be jaded. We're in our, we're in our mid-30s right now. We grew up with Bobby the Brain Heenan, Gorilla Monsoon. We had Jesse the Body. We had, uh, I mean, that Monday Night Raw when it first started with Vince McMahon and Macho Man Randy Savage and Mr. Perfect there with Bobby Heenan and, and all the different ways, Jerry the King. And then, and then really, that, gener- that era stopped, and then we got into the Jim Ross, Jerry the King Lawler era, and we had a great run through the Attitude Era with that commentary team. So now... I mean, how could anything live up to it? And I feel like anybody in their mid-30s, which is us, we're always going to be jaded on what's happening. So it's probably the best thing that we're getting older. The The program is never going to go back, as far as the announcing, is never going to go back to what we liked. Because the simple fact is they have so much more that they need to promote now that they never could they, – they didn't have as much then. All they really had to talk about were the storylines. Now you're talking about, geez, this the new movies and uh, I mean, total divas and total bellas and what's going on in India and what's going on with the, I mean, the Hall of Fame. I, everything is it's huge. You sent me an article today with uh, their CMO Michelle Wilson sitting down saying that the WWE, in the matter of a year, I think it was, were able to completely double. The amount of original programming that they are creating 
on a yearly basis from 750 hours of original programming all the way up to almost 1500 hours of original programming between that's live wrestling like raw and smackdown and then the stuff they're doing on youtube snapchat and periscope and everywhere else i mean what they are doing is it just it's enormous and uh, we've said it before they they don't get the credit that they deserve um but circling back around it would be great speak of the devil jerry the king lawler supposed to be calling uh the royal rumble i heard that so We'll see. But I don't think it's ever going to go back to the days of, uh, you know, a quick-witted guy um, like a Bobby Heenan type. I don't even think they'd allow him to be able to get over because wh- where would he come from? Right. Uh, well, I guess the only place is if you were to allow Heyman to sit down on the microphone week after week. But I don't think that they would ever do that. And I agree with you. I want to ask you a question. So, I want you, I'm gonna, I've, I've not given you any prep for this. I just want your first honest reaction. Michael Cole or Tony Schiavone? I'm going to go Tony Schiavone. Why does Schiavone not get more credit? I mean, if you look back, if you start to watch the network, which oftentimes I find myself doing, you can see that there's a real blend in not only the old NWA. He, he was kind of like the second guy behind Soli. You get some of the NWA. You get WCW. He had his run in the WWF. He goes back to WCW. He was there kind of alongside Bischoff, NWO. I mean, he was he was around for a long time, and then he was gone. And nobody ever talks about Tony Schiavone. Why is that? Well, you know what? I mean, because I think, for at least for the WWE standpoint, is he was only there for a cup of coffee. I mean, it was a very short period of time. It was a year or less, and... Vince wasn't happy with his work. You look at somebody like Michael Cole, he's got 19 years in the company right now. It may even be 20. I think he started in 1997. This is his 20th year in the company. He's been there a long time. Um, what, what, what really drives me crazy about Michael Cole is he is getting to the point now where he believes that, and, and rightfully so, he's been there 20 years. That's a career that he'll say, hey, the one, you know, one of the greatest matches I've ever called is X or loved calling your matches. And as if his his uh, respect that he gives to a wrestler saying that it was such an honor to call his matches makes them feel good. You know, if JR was to say, you know, hey, the greatest match I ever called was X, those boys feel like, man, I'm proud. Michael Cole, yeah, doesn't really mean so much. Looking ahead to the Royal Rumble, likelihood, and we always see this from year to year, that somebody from NXT gets bumped up. They get brought up. They get to, they get an opportunity. Um, I'm going to throw a name out there, and I want your take. Bobby Roode. I hope. Samoa Joe. I mean, are these two guys that... Yeah, they're all ready. They're ready. To, I mean, we know they're ready. These guys can work. Um, but is it their time to insert them, or is it time as we kind of continue to look at the landscape and what Triple H has even said, that he's fine and content with leaving these guys in NXT because he believes he's building that brand and he needs marquee names like that down there, not down there, but there, to continue to build that product. I tell you what, I, I would love to see a, a Samoa Joe, uh, Bobby Roode, and an Austin Aries all get called up, all get put on the same show, and let's start... I mean, what's wonderful about this is that the talent breeds talent, right? And the competition 
is going to create amazing television for us. Now, we're limited to what we have with the writing, but the writing is still good. These guys can make this stuff work clearly. Example, The New Day. They're able to make something work, right? What I want to see is there's still so much in three hours that it's very hard to watch on Raw. But you start like those four names that we just named, get those guys in there and you're really mixing it up. I mean, this is the first time we are going into a Royal Rumble. I've never been more excited for a Royal Rumble. I cannot tell you I have no idea who's going to win this thing. Not even a clue. It could be anybody. You got The Undertaker. You got Brock Lesnar. You got Goldberg. We've got John Cena. I mean, they're all in this thing. And who is going to main event WrestleMania? I mean, I don't, I, I don't even have it in my wildest dreams who it's going to be, you know. So it's, it's an exci- this is an exciting road to WrestleMania, which is good. It's great as a fan just to sit back and actually enjoy it. I am one. I have to put this over because I did watch Raw uh, this past week. Jericho is doing some of his best work ever. It's fantastic. He is getting uh, the list over. Yes. Like a million dollars. He's doing it in a way that's just, it's perfect. He is, in in my mind, quickly becoming one of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time because he keeps coming back, reinventing himself, and he gets stuff over. I mean, he is a top guy in the company. He's been doing it since 1995, I believe. He is a true professional. Now, on the other side is you've got... Roman Reigns, who's supposed to be, you know, the future of the company, and they and they're they're doing everything they can to get him to be just a, a huge, enormous star. Now he is getting crowd reactions at house shows, but the fact is, is he does not have the talent skill to stand in the ring and cut a promo. He is just flat out memorizing lines. It it it. There's no emotion. There's no anything behind it. It's just words. The guy looks like a million dollars. He's you know got great heritage. Being, you know, a cousin of The Rock, but man, it is just agonizing to have to go through his his promos. It's so bad. Um, but I wanted to put over Jericho because I was just I sit there and I just laugh because he's so funny. He's doing an amazing job, and uh, it's it's only going to continue getting better. Has he given Vince at least anything you've heard? Um, you know, backstage, any idea as to when he wants to kind of take the break again? We know that he's done it before. He has a band. He likes to kind of get away from it for a bit. But as you mentioned, he is doing some of his best work. And is it going to be time here before too long for him to step away so that he can go focus on other things, give it a little bit of a break, six months, 12 months, whatever that may be, and then come back to the squared circle? Well, I can tell you what. There are rumors right now that as of today, I believe Chris Jericho just announced on a podcast that he re-signed a contract um, with the WWE. And what I'm trying to do is see if I can get the news quick here because this just happened. Uh, let's take a look, take a look, take a look, take a look. Oh, that's old. Um, I just saw something today where it says he re-signed with the WWE. So so we'll follow up on that next week as we get ready for the Royal Rumble, one of the most exciting uh, pay-per-views of the year and uh, really the official kickoff to the road to WrestleMania. We would be remiss, though, as we get ready to close out another episode of the False Finish Podcast if we did not mention that, unfortunately, there is another former superstar who has gone up to the big ring in the sky. This time, 
It's the pride of Fiji. One James Wiley Smith, also known as the Superfly, Jimmy Snooker. Now, many of you may be familiar with the Superfly from listening to the False Finish podcast. We have talked in depth about his ability to fool, some may say, a judge into getting out of charges um, in the death of longtime girlfriend Nancy Argentino, who died from injuries a coroner described as consistent with domestic violence in 1983. May, that was. Beside the fact. Jimmy Snuka is a very well-known professional wrestler. I think that, you know, as you talk about different wrestlers, he's certainly not on the Hulk Hogan level, but he was very popular. I remember him wrestling. But what I remember most, PJ3, and I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing, is I remember him getting hit over the head with the coconut by Rowdy Roddy Piper inside of Piper's pit. Classic promo. Classic. And and, and I think about that today. It was funny because as I thought about that, it, it brought back other memories. Another one involving Rowdy Piper when he faced Bad News Brown and actually went half of his face painted and the other half not, still wearing his kilt. There's no way today that Vince would sign off on having another wrestler hit a Polynesian wrestler with a coconut just because of what that would potentially infer, is there? (laughs) No, I don't think there's any way you're going to get that on television today. I mean, my earliest memory is a Superfly Jimmy Snuka. Uh, the The cage dive was 83, so I was too young for that. But I did get to see him on Madison Square Garden TV because I lived in New York, and that's what there was a channel called MSG, which piped in WWE shows directly to, I guess, the people that live around the area. So I was able to get a chance to see him. I was never really a fan of his work. I mean, ever. And he was a big time over cat. I mean, he was in the main event of WrestleMania, uh, the original WrestleMania. But I was never a big fan of his promos, could never understand him, was never a big fan of his work. And I think that the greatest uh, masterpiece that he's ever been able to pull was not to get these charges against him, um, which I think the WWE is so grateful for because they never would have acknowledged his passing. That's true. And I don't think that he would have gotten the mainstream media coverage either. Uh, probably would have if he'd been charged, but not uh, after the fact. I do remember 1989, SummerSlam, uh, big in-ring pay-per-view return, this time against the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase. Snuka, he lost the match by a countout as a result of interference by guess whom? DiBiase's manservant, Virgil. Oh, good old Virgil. He then went on to put together programs against Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning, the Honky Tonk Man, um, Jake the Snake Roberts, Rick Rude. I mean, the guy had great matches in terms of the talent he was working with, but I would agree with you. I don't remember one defining moment. I do remember seeing the clips of him coming off the top of the of the cage, and I remember Piper's Pit, but that's it. So I don't know that I put this guy even in the top 15 of guys that like I really remembered growing up in professional wrestling. No, I mean, I, his era too is obviously that's the old school. He was very close to Rocky Johnson. Um, I mean, it's just a, a different time period. And there was a, a picture 
that was uh, – The Rock tweeted this. And it was a picture that his daughter, Tamina Snuka, posted. Maybe it was two or three months ago. And it would be Snuka sitting in the recliner chair and he would just watch for hours his old matches and his old promos. Wouldn't say anything to anybody. Wouldn't move. Would just sit there and watch his old stuff. You know, and The Rock tweeted about this, stating like, "Hey, I wonder, like, well, what must he be thinking? Is he happy? Are there things that we'd want to do over, or, or whatever?" And all I can keep thinking about is that he's thinking about that night in Pennsylvania, 1983. She slipped and fell. You know, a lot of things happen at Lehigh County Agriculture Hall in Allentown, Pennsylvania. That's it. She and, slipped and fell. And then, Ta-da. and then if you, and then if you went onto the George Washington Motor Lodge, <laughs> God, God bless her soul. That's all we can say. One last thing here on Snuka, and this I think is the saddest part. When we talked to, to Marty Janetti, he mentioned about a, a potential lawsuit of you know traumatic brain injuries that he claimed were part from his time in the WWF. That's still ongoing. The fact of the matter is this: Jimmy Snuka died at the age of seventy-three. Is that right? Is that what I told you? I believe so. He was last in the ring in 2009, 2009, November 28th of 2009, teaming up with his son at an NWA Upstate event in Lockport, New York. All right? I would assume you probably have experiences in events like the one that took place in Rockport, Lockport, New York. I mean, yeah, but that, I, I don't know what it's like to be 63 or that, 60. There you go. There you go. This guy is 60, what, 65 years old? And he's in the ring in Lockport, New York, wrestling in the tag team championship match against the Hellcats and Triple X. Making towns, brother. Making towns. How much you figure he got paid for that night? 75 bucks. And no travel. Fans, that's why you listen to the False Finish Podcast right there. We start off with a story about a fanboy at a gymnasium just trying to catch a snapshot picture so that he can take it home to his wife, who really doesn't think as highly of him because he's been working not out, but just been working a lot. So he takes it home and he shows his old lady, here's a picture of Randy Orton. She loses her breath. She's so taken away. And meanwhile, he's now in the fight for his life on social media against the Viper, Randy Orton. We take it from there to talking about potential career opportunities, none of which you marks who are listening would ever have an opportunity for. But that doesn't matter. We still talk about them anyways. Because we know what we're talking about here. And what do we close with? A story about a late great man from Fiji who up until 65 years old was lacing up the boots. Pardon me, he didn't wear boots. He was just barefoot because he needed to make another town. Brother. He's Preston James III. I'm Ryan Pincy. Scott Commodity, hopefully, will be back from Bora Bora or whatever other parts unknown he may be in this week. Next week with us as we preview the Royal Rumble and the road to WrestleMania continues. Any other uh, special events, promotions? We've had a hard time getting a hold um, of our clients at Rehab. A couple's released because they've been so busy. 
But I know, Preston, I think you might even have kind of the latest and greatest. They're ramping up for Valentine's Day. We know it's one of the most popular products out there being featured all over the world. Fans can still get it. They can log on right now today. Tell them about it. All I can tell you right now is that they keep sending their checks and we'll keep cashing them. Uh, Rehab, a couple's release is, uh, I guess it's uh, it's the, the game for 2017's Valentine's Day. RehabGamingUSA.com is the place to be able to get it. It's about time some of our listeners do something nice for their loved ones. You know, if you got a girlfriend, if you don't have one, pretend like you do. Buy the game, just leave it around the house and say you're going to pretend to play it so your parents can get off your back. I know what it's been like. I've been there too. Rehab, couple's release. RehabGamingUSA.com. He's Preston James III. I'm Ryan Pincy. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, all over the World Wide Web. We'll be back with you next week for an all-new episode of the number one-ranked professional wrestling podcast in the greater tri-state area, the False Finish Podcast. We'll see you next week.